Wow, what a Sunday too. Yeah. <laughs> Session 135. Anyway, I didn't get any questions on 9-11. Anyway, I mean, doesn't matter. But we have questions and we trust God for the answers always. We trust God. Our knowledge, wisdom, understanding, all is one thing. But God said, don't lean on it. So we trust God that he will give the answers that will encourage, comfort his people. So this evening, before we go to the questions, we will look to the Lord. Father, this evening we come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Father. We want to magnify your holy name. We want to glorify your holy name, O Lord, in everything that we do, Lord. It may look so simple, Q&A, but Father, I pray Christ will receive preeminence in everything. Amen. That it will not be about us, but it will be truly about you, Lord. Commit everyone here, everyone listening, all your people everywhere into thy hands, O Lord. Watch over them, protect them, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Yes, Pastor Vidya, let's begin. Pastor, we'll start with question number four. It's about Job. Says, um, hi pastor, I read the book of Job. I have a few questions. Job was angry and sad with God, with what God did to him. His friends came and spoke of God and his mighty ways. When God spoke to Job, he asked him to speak up. And finally God said to his friends, that you three did not speak right of me as Job did. What does that mean? Does God want us to question him and his works and ask an answer from him? Because the friends only spoke good of God and did not speak of how God had hurt Job. Or God had hurt Job through the devil. God restored everything to Job again, more than it was taken away from him. Was it because Job questioned God? How do you look at this? Okay, let's go to what God says at the end of Job. Let's look to what God says. Okay, we'll begin there. Chapter 42. And verse 7. And verse 8. Twice God says the same thing. So it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz at Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourself seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourself a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him. Lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. It's interesting, right, uh, that uh, even there God stands up for a job. Let's look, let's go to another words in the new covenant to probably get an idea of what uh, God is trying to say. Go to James chapter 5 and verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure, who have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. That The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Yeah. This is who God actually is. He's very compassionate and merciful towards his children. So everything that he intended was for Job's good. But the picture Job's friends 
put across about God is not that. He's a very angry, condemning God. And God is very upset with it because the picture we portray of God, we need to be very, very careful about who is God. God is righteous, yes, but is also compassionate, very compassionate towards man. Okay, if he was not compassionate towards man, then he didn't have to send Christ. The entire purpose of the cross is basically God is very compassionate and merciful. Instead, the three friends came across as putting God as being very angry and very judgmental. Mm. That's not who God is. Yes. God will judge. But his actual nature is compassion, mercy. Okay, Anyone who judges without mercy will be judged without mercy. And God, these three friends portrayed a different picture of God completely. Completely. And God was very upset with them. But he said, what Job is talking is actually right. He's questioning, basically. I know God is righteous. And he doesn't deal with people this way. Mm. And he's actually, it's, his, all his questions are asking, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? The end of it all was that though you know how the book of Job begins, and uh, that's how God commends him to. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Mm. Okay, And when Satan comes into God's presence in verse 8, this is God's testimony. Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? Mm. So this is who Job is. And this is God's testimony about Job. And to that man, when this severe calamity happens, okay, where he loses his entire family in one day and all his wealth in one day, he's actually questioning. Okay, like we, we heard about Hezekiah, right? Mm. When in Isaiah chapter 38, yes. okay, in Isaiah chapter 38, okay, it's, it's it, in so many ways, it's a picture of righteousness. Okay, in 38, if you go there, it's verse one. Yeah, not not verse one. I just want uh, verse three. Okay, remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly because what he is getting is a death sentence. He said, "Put your house in order. You're going to die. Just sickness unto death." And he's saying, "What did I do to deserve death?" So the question he is asking. Okay, so God does not have issues with questions. But God has issues when we accuse him. Mm. Okay, when we accuse him, God has issues. God has no issues with asking questions. He has no issues with asking questions. No, because we, if you don't get asked questions, we don't get answers. But when our questions are like accusatory in nature, then we are marring God's image. So here is Hezekiah. The servant of the Lord comes and says in verse 1, put your house in order. Put your life in order, prophet. Thus says the Lord, set your house in order. Set your house in order. Sammy, just could you take this call? Set your house in order and uh, quickly. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Set your house in order and uh, for you shall die and not live. You shall die and not live. Okay. And God hears his cry. God hears his cry. And the Lord sends the prophet back and tells him, see, I have added 15 years to his life. Okay. In the same token, 
Okay, same token. Because the whole idea, the simple principle on which Job's um, question is, uh, his questioning is that, Lord, is there no profit in being righteous? Mm. Okay. Okay, we also know God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And on the other hand, Job's question is, I sought this and what I have is I have lost everything. What I have, what I have lost everything. On the other hand, the questioning of the three friends actually marks God's character. God's character. You see, there were four friends. Yeah. But God doesn't say anything about the fourth one. Mm. If you go to Job, if I'm right, 32, 33, 33, 33 or 32. Yeah, 32. Okay. Verse uh, 32, verse 1 onwards. Okay. So these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakhil, the Busite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Okay, And also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they found no answer and it had condemned God. This was the key. So he had an issue over there. He says, you know what? You're justifying yourself. You're justifying yourself and not justifying God. But his uh, he, wrath was also against Job. Why? Mm. Sorry, against the three because they had found no answer to Job's question. Because Job is asking a series of questions. Because if you are condemning me that there must be something wrong in me for this to happen, then you tell me what is wrong in me. What is that I do? Okay, because basically this is what happens in a court court room. If you are in the dock, then your attorney is actually questioning this thing. What did my client do that he should be in the dock? That's basically his, his, his own advocate. He says, what did I do wrong? You're saying, you must have done wrong. You must have done wrong. You must have done wrong. You must. But what did I do wrong? You tell me. What did I do wrong? Okay. What did I do wrong? Okay. So this is what we need to understand is that this is, let's go. We had seen that last week. Let's go to Psalm 66. Yeah, Psalm 66. Okay, we go to Psalm 66. Verse 10. Okay, to 12. For you, O Lord, have tested us. You have refined as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. Mm. We went through the fire and through water. But you brought us out to a rich Fulfillment. Okay, now this is what God is actually indicting them. He says, when adversity comes from God in the life of a righteous person, okay, righteous person, what is the purpose behind it? The purpose behind it is that his end should be better than the before. Now you go back to the book of Job and you will Mm. see that's exactly what happens. Okay, what happens? Verse 11, uh, verse 10. 42, 42, 42, sorry, 42, 10 and 11. Okay, look at how it is written. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. That was the whole, see, God was not taking away. 
God never, God, God is never a debtor to man. Mm. Okay, He restored it twice over. And if you look at verse 11, then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. They consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. So the adversity was brought by Lord, though we see Satan, but Satan was an instrument, instrument in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when adversity happens in the lives of righteous people, lives of righteous people, remember the end is this: God is bringing us to a better place, fulfillment, a yeah. fulfillment. What is that better place? It is not just the material blessings. This is the key. Words forty-two and words five. This is the actual key. Okay. I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes sees you. Okay. When we live in prosperity, okay, we hear about the goodness of God. But when we go through adversity because of righteousness sake, we actually experience the presence of God. It's in adversity that we, you cannot experience God at a higher level Unless you go through adversity. Unless you go through adversity. Okay. Experiencing God in prosperity and experiencing God in adversity are two different things. This is not the same. Because when we are in prosperity, our hearts are such yeah. that we are not so much interested in a relationship with God. Because prosperity has does it to you, it dulls your senses. But when we are in adversity and we actually see God, the way we experience, that's what David is talking about. Let's have Psalm 23 on the screen because you have adversity, prosperity and adversity both side by side. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning he has no want now there. Okay? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Fantastic. He leads me beside still water. This is the experience of God in prosperity. Mm. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. One, two, three is good. It is experiencing God in good times. And then the tone changes. In verse 4, Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, mm. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The experience has changed. It is not the same. Earlier my ears had heard about you, mm. but now my eyes see you. Mm. you. Go to verse 5. Okay, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Okay, You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Verse 5 and verse 6 are all completely different experiences. Different experiences. These experiences a child of God cannot have when his life is only prosperous and he had never encountered adversity. How he experienced God in adversity is completely different. But through it all, now, as we close that question, let's go back to uh, James chapter 5 and that verse which I gave you. Okay, James chapter 5 and verse 12, right? 11 or 12? 5-11. 5-11, yes. Yeah, it is there. Indeed, we count them blessed. Okay? Who endure. The truth is that, you know what? 
Job endured. Most people don't endure adversity. Now, don't think adversity in itself is it's great. It's what happens to you. Most Christians will not endure. That word is important because over and over Jesus says, he who endured till the end shall be saved. The thing is that Job endured. If the same adversity, I'm telling you, if the same adversity had come upon his three friends, they would not have endured. They would not have endured because they did not have that consciousness of God. A true picture of God, who God is. They would not have endured. Those three friends would not have. Maybe Eliphaz may would have endured, but Job endured. Job endured. So we count them blessed. So at the end of it, if you look at it, you know what? Job is more blessed. You know why? One, because he endured. You have heard the perseverance of the Lord and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. If you don't read the book of Job and understand who God is, what you understand about God is that he's very compassionate and merciful. Very merciful. See, Jonah knew that. Hmm. But he didn't like God being merciful and compassionate to Jonah's enemies. He didn't mind it when God was merciful and compassionate to him. From the depths of the ocean, he cried out and God rescued him. And sent him back on mission, restored him, speeded him up, sent him back on mission. But when God showed the same mercy and compassion to his enemies, he was upset. Yeah. But God is always the same. Anybody who repents and turns back, it does not matter whether it is Jew or Gentile, Christian or non-Christian, if they turn to the living God, he is always merciful and compassionate. This is the actual picture of God. And sometimes we miss this picture. Sometimes we miss this picture. because See, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament are the same. Okay, He's kind and he's severe. He's kind to those who repent and walk in his kindness. He severed those who don't repent and turn away. Yeah. That's He's always the same. Yeah. People sometimes think the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and the God of... No, he's not. God never changes. He's always the same. So God has no issues with us in asking him questions. The question is of a motivation. What why am I asking God questions? How am I asking God questions? Okay? So Job asking God questions was absolutely fine. But with his friends, God was upset. Because they did not have a real picture of who God is. Okay? So that's for us also as preachers. Hmm. Because when we stand behind, like tomorrow, when we stand behind the pulpit, okay, we need to put across a picture of God that is true. We don't have to change him. We don't have to make him look better than he is. We should not make him look worse than he is. We just need to be channels through which we portray who he really is. This is who God is to the best of our ability. Okay, Because what happens otherwise, God will be upset. Hmm. God will be upset. We cannot go this way or that way. We cannot make him more kind than he is, where he winks at everything. We don't make him severe where he does, he turns out like one of those uh, pagan gods out for blood. He's neither of that. So that's how we have to look at it. Mm. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So there's another question. Uh, um, because it's nine, it's going to be 9 by 11 tomorrow. 
there's a there's a question uh, on um, the Christian roots of America. This is question number three. Okay. Um, it says we've always said that America was founded on Christian principles. That it was founded as a Christian nation or a colony. God blessed America and it and it prospered because of its Christian roots. But the founding fathers said differently. So one of them, John Adams, says, this is the second president, if I'm right, of the United States. Yeah, says, first vice president and second president. Second president. Right, yeah. As the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on Christian religion. So how is it a Christian nation? See, uh, that's where you need to understand how U.S. was different from the other nations. Like today, uh, King Charles III was proclaimed as king. Mm. Okay, but uh, Britain is founded on Christian religion. Western uh, European nations, many of the nations were founded on Christian religion. America was not founded on Christian religion. Mm. There was a separation of the state, state and the church. Mm. Okay, there was a separation. They did not want it going the way of Europe. Yep, yep. But it was founded on Christian Judeo principles, one nation under God, under God, that it was not freedom from religion, it was freedom for religion, okay, that the state should never interfere in the faith of a person, because they saw when religion, a kingdom was based on religion, they knew what happened in Europe. The Spanish Inquisition, where the Catholics went after the Protestants or anybody who carried a Bible and killed them in their tens and thousands. Or how in Britain, the Protestants also, no, Protestant also um, persecuted the Catholics. Mary Queen of Scots was uh, executed. Now Charles III took over, but Charles I was executed. He was beheaded. Okay, so all these things were based on religion. So the founding fathers knew the danger of it. Whenever there is a state religion, persecution will automatically come, like you have in Islamic nations where Islam is the religion. So therefore, you will have, okay, you will have persecution of other religions. So when you have, if India becomes later, their agenda works and becomes a Hindu state, automatically others will become second class and will be persecuted. Okay, so you have a Buddhist nation. You, it automatically will happen. America was founded on a completely different plate. It was not founded on a Christian religion. It was built on Christian principle. Fundamental principle is that Every man has the freedom to choose. Choose God or reject God. Follow what he believes and the state will not interfere in it. But the principles were all Christian. The principles of everything about liberty, about these are the entire concept about pursuit about liberty and all that. These are Christian principles. There is nothing like that in any religion. Mm. No religion offers that kind of principle. Those are Christian liberty. The fundamental freedom to choose itself is a Judeo-Christian principle because it's only the living God who gives you the freedom to choose. Religions do not give you the freedom to choose. If you're born in a Muslim family, you are born Muslim. If you're born in a Hindu family, you're born Hindu. If you're born in a Buddhist family, you're born Hindu. But if you're born in a Christian family, God says you're not a Christian. You have to choose. You have to choose. And that's a fundamental thing which even Christian parents don't understand. Yes, you are set apart by the faith of the parent, but does not make you a Christian. 
Because the living God gives you the freedom to choose you or reject you. And he tells you the consequences also. If you choose me, this is what will happen eternally. If you reject me, this is what I give you the freedom to choose. That is the basis on which U.S. was founded. So U.S. was not a Christian nation like Germany or England or France or Holland or any of like. I I just heard him speak just before the Q&A because his proclamation of the king took place. And if I am right, it was just a microsecond, I need to amplify it with headphones and listen. But I think he said defender of faiths. He did not say defender of faith. The original, all the kings and the queens said they are the defender of faith. Because the Archbishop of Canterbury is the one who will probably crown him. And uh, Protestant, Anglican, that is the state religion of England. And he's a defender of that faith. But if I'm right, <coughs> Charles III said he's a defender of faiths. Or defender of faith. Because I think he's also changing. Okay. But that's not what um, monarchs in Europe said. They were defender of that particular faith. Defender of particular faith. But that is not how America is. America is not a defender of faith. America is the defender of liberty. Mm. And the, con- con- the, the, the concept about that liberty comes from Christianity. The living God. No other gods give you that liberty. No religion gives you that liberty. But Christianity gives you that liberty to choose or to reject. God will tell you. So here, that is the thing. The founding fathers understood. And by the way, John Adams saying that as the government of United States of America is not in any sense founded on Christian religion. But this is, if, if, if <coughs> I am right, we need to check it on. This is connected with the treaty America signed in Tripoli. Tripoli with the Muslim nations. Yeah, with the Muslim, Muslim nations. nations. Yes. Okay, this is connected with that. Mm, yeah. This is connected with that. So this is not part of it. It's something else. Basically, he's telling them, not a, we are not like uh, the European nations whom we have fought, the Crusades and all. We are not like that. We are a nation, which is not a Christian nation, but we are Christian in all other ways. We are Christian. But we will not put one religion. We will not come. We will not have Crusades with you. We will not force our religion on you because our God does not force himself on us. He gives us the freedom to choose. That's a fundamental. But they were all, they were all believers in their own ways. They were all believers. So that's where we need to look at what U.S. is. And their proclamation says one nation under God. Okay, one nation under God. So if you have to look at America's ethos, it's, it's, that's what they are taking it out now. They're taking that Judeo-Christian, this thing, and what, that's what you realize. Once that goes, what you lose is you use your liberty, the freedom of expression, the First Amendment, Second Amendment, all that is going now. And when, what happens is, they are betraying their, how they were founded. They are now going into, they're not even a secular state. They're going into a Marxist state. <coughs> That's basically what they are becoming. They are not liberals, okay? If they do take that term, they are not liberals at all. A true liberal will fight for the freedom of expression. 
They are not liberal. They are Marxists. The Democrats are Marxists. Actually, their name should be changed. They are not Democrats because democracy means the will of the people. They are not Democrats. They are Marxists. Marxists will not accept any other. Marxism is another religion. Yeah. It's another religion where there is no God. But it is another religion where it will not allow any other opinion. Any other opinion. So Marx, Marxism is also extreme like other religions. Like if you are in an Islamic nation like Iran, you cannot have anything other than that. Okay, you have you have another religion, another religious country. They will not allow anything. And if you choose to leave any of these religions, then you will face the consequences. You will face the consequences. And Marxism also does the same thing. You move away from Marxism, you will face the consequences. The only religion that gives you the liberty is Christianity. You have to choose. The consequences you will face are not temporal, are eternal. Temporally, if you leave God and you do, you may still do well in life. You may become rich, you can become a multi-billionaire, all that. Because certain laws have been built into by God, mm. how his creation should function. You can reject God and apply those principles and you can still succeed. But eternally you will lose. Eternally you will lose. But God gives you that freedom. God gives you the freedom. And the only religion or only faith that gives you that freedom is Christianity. Christianity. Okay, even Judaism, in, in them, he gives them the freedom. Yes, he tells right. them to continue. He yes. did not make a covenant. He said, go tell them. Go tell them. These are the pros and the cons. And you choose. Okay, I set you free from Egypt. I brought you over here. But we are going to make a covenant. But if we make a covenant, these are the conditions. And all the people and the elders said, yes, we will keep it. And they did not keep it. And automatically... The clauses started working. started working against yes. them. Against them, but through it all, you will see there was always a remnant mm -hmm. who repented, turned back, and God always kept them alive and brought them through. So that's how it works. Even even the current Israel Israel, some of the Jewish Jewish state. Uh, if you look at the Jewish state in itself. They don't force the religion on anybody. I mean, even no, that's because they don't have the majority. The Herados, Hasidic Jews, they they were where to get it. They would turn it. That's that's why that that's why Israel never has a majority government. Mm. Because never, a lot of security. yeah, yes, a lot of security. because they have come from all around the world. So so many of them secular. Many of them are atheists. Many of them are crackpots, absolute crackpots like live in debauchery, but they have come together under that one nation called Israel. But there are those Orthodox Jews. They are a minority. If ever the Orthodox Jews becomes a majority, then the Judaic form of Sharia will come into place. They will not allow anything to work happen on a Sabbath. The law will automatically, they will bring it like the times of the Pharisees. They will bring that law. They don't understand the spirit of the law. The letter of the law will come. They don't have that majority. That's the only reason it is not happening because the majority are not orthodox there. Hmm. Orthodox there. Okay. Pastor, another question on uh, countries, etc. This is question number one. Um, it says, what do we do when we keep hearing of the wickedness all over the place in every country, in every government? 
How long will these people get away with the corruption? How long will God allow them to keep stealing, keep taking advantage of the poor? So many people are deceived. It confuses all of us. See, honestly, honestly, we do not know God's timeline. We do not know God's timeline. Is he coming back soon? Or is it delayed? Everything depends upon these two things. If he is coming back soon, then things are not going to improve. It's not going to improve. It's only get worse. But if he's going to delay, then there are two things that will go happen. The new world order is put on their agenda 2030. Okay, that's eight years from now. 2030, they want to take over. All the things that are happening is connected with that. Is connected with that. But if that is their plan and that is not God's plan, it is not going to come to pass. So they have their reset, which is what you see. Everything that is happening is part of their reset. But God could put his foot on and have his reset. I do not know. Honestly, I do not know. I do not know. I am not sure at all because I, okay, the prophetic voices are all there. Personally speaking, on both sides, they are very godly people. And you don't know which is. I personally do not know. But... If this is the end, let me tell you what is going to happen. This is how I perceive it. If this is the beginning of the end, Joe Biden will die. Kamala will become president. Barack Obama will become his vice president. And you will have the beast, the woman riding the beast, coming in. The little picture of it. The one who is ruling U.S. right now is Obama. It is not Joe Biden. He's behind the scenes and he's running the show. It's between Kamala and Obama. They are running the show. Okay. And both of them are young. She's 56, he's 60. They are not old like the others. They are, he's the one who set everything into motion to what we are seeing today. These are absolutely radical leftists and they hate the construction of America. What they are trying to do is deconstruct America. Deconstruct America. Okay, so there are a lot of things. So, will Trump succeed or not? Honestly, I do not know. But whether he succeeds or not is not the question. You need to ask what is right and what is wrong. And we need to choose to fight on behalf of what is right. See, the war has been won. It is finished on the cross. Satan has been defeated. We are all fighting battles. What is the end of our own generation's battle? We do not know. But if we do not fight the right battle, we will be called accountable. Mm. You need to understand. We will be held accountable. Okay, We will be held accountable. So we know on which side we need to fight. Which way it will go is in God's hands. Go hands. Okay. And this is the kind of fundamental principle uh, in Deuteronomy, Moses tells the two and a half, the, the uh, tribes who did not want to cross over. This is... Uh, Numbers 32, 23. Yeah. This is connected with a battle. Okay, this is connected with a battle. Numbers... 32, 23. Uh, 32, 30, 21 onwards. Yeah. 
No, he says your sin. Yeah, thirty-two twenty-three. Your sin will find you out. Okay, got it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Number thirty-two. Twenty-three. Yeah. Verse twenty onwards. Let's read from verse twenty onwards. They didn't want to go over because they preferred this side. Then Moses said to them, If you do this thing, if you arm yourself before the Lord for the war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, and then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. They said, you know what? We don't want to cross Jordan. We don't want that land. We prefer this side. It's good for our livestock, our people. We are So why do you want us to go across and fight for something which we don't want? God says, but you are one nation. You have to go there and fight for your brothers. Hmm. If you do not do so, verse 23, if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Okay. Now this is the principle here. Okay, you will say, I'm not interested in this battle. But God says, you're one body. It's one kingdom. It's a kingdom battle. And you don't engage in it. Your sin will find you out. You will be held accountable that day. That is why no Christian is an island. Christian is an island. Because some battles that are happening are part of the kingdom of God. What is happening in the U.S. is part of the kingdom of God. But which way it will go, we do not know. But that does not mean, because we do not know which way it will go, I want to be neutral. You cannot be neutral in the face of evil. You cannot be neutral in the face of evil. And most people are not even engaged in their battle, because where do you engage in this battle? You engage this in your prayer closet. This is where you engage in it. That's why we do three days a week. If you notice, we pray. Much of our prayer is connected with what's happening over there. And we are wondering, why should we pray for that nation? How does it matter to us Indians? No, it doesn't matter to us Indians, but it matters to the church. It matters to the church. Because if that nation goes down, the church goes down. And it will affect all of us. So we are duty bound. If we act like those two tribes, then the word of God will say, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. So these principles are there. So honestly speaking, I don't know where it is going. I hear both sides. He hasn't told me. But that does not make any difference to me. I will Continue fighting these battles because we've been fighting these battles for years and well, years. And yeah. we've been part of this battle. And seriously, in your prayer closet, it's part of this battle. Because what is the battle we are fighting? The fighting is this, thy kingdom come. And for your kingdom ultimately to come, what all pieces have to move? I don't know. That's That's in your hand. But I know what I'm called to do. I'm called to pray. Thy kingdom come. And wherever I see things happening, wicked, like now, the Russia-Ukraine war. Russia-Ukraine war. I look at the war, it is scary, not because of the battles that is taking place. Because every time I hear, like today I hear, Ukraine had a major advance. They took back thousand square miles 
they took back. But when Ukraine says thousand square miles, it could be ten square miles. You can never hear this all propaganda during war. But they seems to have had success. Now I don't want Ukraine to succeed. Let me tell you honestly, I don't want Ukraine to succeed. Why? Because Ukraine succeeds. Russia may use nuclear tactical nuclear weapons. We don't want that happens. It will automatically trigger World War Three. That's what they want. Also. And that's what they want. That is what they want. They want World War Three because all the elites have their nuclear bunkers. They will go underground. They will be safe, but they want to get rid of a major part of the world population out. They could not do it through COVID. They will do it through famine. They will do it through war. But that is their agenda. So I am looking at, so I don't look at the war which people are looking at. I look at the war through the eyes of the kingdom of God because our whole idea is that we need to save people. Mm. They need to save people. Their agenda is they want to destroy people. They want to destroy people. Okay, so we are looking at, that's what I said, we cannot be like the ostriches ahead in this sand. All these things are going to affect us. Famine is coming. <laughs> India has banned even the export of broken, broken rice. rice yeah. <laughs> Famine is coming. Governments know what is happening. It's coming. Famine is coming. Europe is going to freeze in during this winter because Russia shut down their gas. Okay, they shut down their gas. So a lot of things are going to happen. They're talking about food shortages in America during winter. All kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, the question is, why are this happening? What is the agenda behind it? What is the agenda behind it? Hmm. What is the agenda behind? The agenda behind it is they have an agenda. The agenda is they are fast-forwarding the Antichrist to come and take the place. But who can withstand it? Who can stop it? Only the church. Only the church has the power. Nobody else has the power. So we look at people up there in positions <coughs> who are actually fighting to stall their movement. We pray for them. We pray for them. We pray for that's why we pray for forty five. We pray for him because we look at a political and that's why they are against him. How many cases is he fighting? I don't know. Twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. Do you know he has cases all around the US? Even little places also, anything they're filing cases against him because they do not want him to run in twenty twenty four. So the simple question to ask is why? Hmm. Why? Why? What is the reason? What is the reason? Okay, so we need to believe there are things that is happening. So there is wickedness happening in every country. Is it going to cease? No. Can we, what we call it, uh, restrain it? Yes. That's Abraham's intercession before God about Sodom and Gomorrah. If there are righteous people. What what does righteousness do? Is that your point? Yes, um, what does righteousness do? Righteousness can stall wickedness. Can stall wickedness. Okay? And that's the purpose of the church. And the purpose of the purpose of the church, the first arena of battlefield of the church is the prayer closet. The prayer closet. If your prayer closet is empty, you cannot do anything against the tide of evil. Mm. Tide of evil. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was baptized, filled, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. And he went around healing and delivering all those who were oppressed of the devil. Mm. Okay. But where do you see its beginning? Mm. 
always begins in his prayer closet. You take his prayer life off, nothing will happen after that. Nothing will happen after that. Because first he has to be in his prayer <laughs> closet and he has to win in his prayer closet over what? Over his self. He has to win over his self before he can come out and be a blessing to others. Otherwise his entire ministry will be about himself. But his ministry is not about himself. His ministry is about his father and people. Okay, so that's the key. And the church has to learn from, the church learned in book of Acts, you will see that they learned, they gave themselves continuously, primarily first to prayer and then to the word of God. And the church has to fight because the battle we are fighting is spiritual. Is spiritual. Yes, there is wickedness, there is corruption, they are stealing left, right and center, they are doing it. But we need to be very, very careful. We are not fighting a battle to stop corruption. Cannot be stopped. Because what you call that term? Entropy. Entropy has set in. When man fell, corruption has set in. We can like put that fruit in the fridge and keep it fresh for a little season. But ultimately it will rot. This world is heading towards that. When the church prays and the word stands in righteousness, we can hold it for a season. And the only purpose for holding it for a season is to save people. Hmm. We, our dreams are not on this planet. Our dreams and aspirations are not connected with this life. It is connected in the life that is coming. So the entire purpose of this life is, Lord, everything that you have given me, I want to be a good steward, I want to be a good witness, but ultimately that I become a channel so that people enter into thy kingdom. So they are taking people... People should not be confused because what is happening now has been happening all these years. It is actually much better now. In this world... In terms it of is, clarity. No, no, no. In terms of corruption and violence and all, it's much better now. Okay, and it okay. is only better because of the influence of Christianity. Mm, yeah, okay. We may have issues with uh, colonization. But the flip side of colonization in itself per se was wrong. But the flip side of it that because in that same ship missionaries went and they spread the gospel to the ends of the earth and that the gospel changed the consciousness of men and the laws of almost every nation was framed based on Judeo-Christian principles. Yes. Okay, Judeo-Christian. So these laws of every country has these principles enshrined into it. And therefore, you know what happens? What used to happen in the old days don't happen like that today. Old days, nations fought against nations. They butchered, they raped, they killed, they stole, they took. That's not happening now. It happens in parts of Nigeria, parts of Middle East, it happened. But it does not happen without condemnation. Yeah, it's not condoned, yeah. It is not condoned. Yes, yes, yes. And how, when did this happen? It happened because of Christianity. Of Christianity. Mm. So, if you look in the ancient days and you look at today, it was much, much, much worse. People had no rights at all. Who had rights? Had no rights. People had no rights. Kings ruled. Whatever they wanted to do, they did. There was no rights. But today you have rights. In many nations, you still can go to the court of law. You can still, you know, people that. Uh, that guy who was arrested in UP, that Kerala journalist, was released. The Supreme Court ordered, right? 
He was he was imprisoned, arrested under very draconian thing, but he got relief. At the end of the day, the power of the government was stopped mm-hmm. by the Supreme Court. He there was some kind of justice that took place. Yep. Okay, so would that have been possible earlier? No, no. Mm-hmm. that have been possible. You're gone. The king takes you and puts you in prison. You're gone. You're gone. King has forgotten you. You are forgotten. There's no way you can get out. Okay. So if you want to talk about corruption and all that, it's much, much later. Much, much later. Much, much less. Okay. Much, much less. No. Old days, if you changed your faith, you lost everything. And who is to stand for you? Nobody could stand for you. Nobody could. We will come at the time of the Antichrist. The rule will come to a stage like that. But still, it is not as bad as it was before. It is not as bad as it was. So, the answer is, keep fighting. Like they say, they mock us, but our pie is in the sky. Yep. Our pie is not on earth. <laughs> our pie is in the sky. Eyes haven't seen, <laughs> no ears heard. But God is preparing for those who love Him. I haven't seen. It is not possible. Okay, so we are not losers. We are not losers. We cannot lose because that principle we looked in the first question about Job. God's children cannot lose if the adversity is allowed by God. You cannot lose. God restored. So many times over God restored to Job. So there is a restoration that will take place. We cannot lose. One, we cannot be killed. We don't die. We just exit. Second, (laughs) if we were rich towards God, we will not be poor in heaven. It's not possible. God is not a debtor of any man. So that's why Whenever you are looking at all these things, like we saw yesterday, we have to go back to Colossians chapter 3. three, verse one, four, three. You have to go back to Colossians and 3, Colossians and 3, one, and one, 3 one, one onwards, 1 to 3, and Second Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. These are my favorite verses currently in the Bible. <laughs> if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Therefore, we do not lose heart. This is Second Corinthians. Okay, Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 18. 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Until we get this into our mind, we will panic at what is happening around us. We look at around, because then we are down on earth. Our mind is not on things. But if our mind is up, then we will see clarity. We will be able to see clarity. And we will see in eternity or realize it's worth it. If it is for his name's sake, let's go. I brought my wrong Bible. In Hebrews, it talks about how they rejoice in the plundering of their goods. This, uh, yes. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. 
verse 32 to 35. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured great struggle with sufferings. Why? Now they are, now they are believers and persecution has begun. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. And partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Do you see that? You were mocked, you were scoffed, you were treated that way. And they took your property too. They plundered your goods too. Mm. But how did you do? You looked forward into eternity. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. And again says, you know what? You need endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So the word of God is very, very clear. <laughs> the problem is, unless we see, I'm not saying that therefore you may not get blessed on earth. Of course you'll get blessed on earth. But it, that is not the main thing. Uh, what price do you want your blessing? Is the question. If God says, okay, I will bless you, but you will lose in eternity. Do you want it on that condition? Or I may bless you, I may not bless you. But eternity guaranteed. Okay. This is my will for you. Okay. After having done the will of God, you may receive the promise. That's how we have to look at life. Mm. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Wow. The thing is, um, I mean, the more you, in, in, in terms of the way the things are getting interconnected and all, on all the, uh, situations in the world are precipitating towards, uh, towards, uh, towards chaos. It's yeah, not, it's they, not, it's not, crisis. Not, yeah, yeah. Generating crisis yes. where there was no crisis. There yeah. was generating crisis. The anti-Russian Ukraine war was generated. They were actually, Biden gave him a green pass to go in and set them up. Okay, to us. And honestly, we are not saying he is boasting. It is actually true. If Trump had his second term, none of these things would have happened. None of these things would have happened. There would have been no war. He wouldn't have allowed it. He wouldn't have allowed it. None of these things which you are seeing would have happened. Okay, but we don't know. If God is like everywhere it says the bridegroom delayed, the master delayed, so if he delays, and he says 2030 is your agenda, not my agenda, if he delays, then it will change. That's why Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. No man knows the day or the hour. So we don't know. But what we are fighting for, we are fighting for the kingdom of God and his people. We know on which side we are. And we will do. How it will turn out, we do not know. You know, during the Second World War and the Germans ran over like the European nations just fell like matchsticks before them and France and all fell. But within France, there was always a resistance. Yeah. It's always a resistance. They fought the Germans. They fought. And that's how the church has to be. We are the resistance. We are the resistance. We are not fighting flesh and blood, when we are fighting the agenda of the devil. We are part of the resistance. You have to be part of the resistance. You cannot be on the other side, on the wrong side. You cannot be. 
you cannot be a collaborator. Because if you're a collaborator, when the Germans fell, the first people who were executed were the French who collaborated with the Germans. Okay, so you cannot be on the other side. You cannot be other side. If you have to be executed, let the Germans execute you, not the French. You're not your own people. Mm-hmm. Okay, not your own people. Mm-hmm. Okay, if the Germans execute you, you die a martyr. A martyr in the war. French execute you, you die as a traitor. For a traitor. I don't want to die as a traitor to the kingdom of God. We do not want to die as a traitor to the kingdom of God. Amen. You die, you die as a martyr. You don't die as a traitor. So you have to be very, very clear about these these lines are drawn first in your heart and your mind. When the day comes, you will not struggle to make your decision because the decisions are already made. This is very clearly made. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So, Pastor, this is about the blessings and curses uh, teaching last week. Let's look at it. This is question number two. You broke the curses last Sunday. You said there is a continuation to these curses. What does one do to stop the curses if you open a door out of ignorance or even without ignorance? We do it willingly also. Do we have to break it till we get it right? See, there is an easy way which is very hard. <laughs> Walk okay. in the spirit and you. <laughs> okay. The easy way is in Galatians 2, sorry, sorry, 2. 20. That is the easy way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The day you reach this point, every curse stops. It stops. To reach here is what is difficult. (laughs) This is easy. But it is not because every morning when you wake up, it is you who want to live. Okay, you want to, and you cannot reach there in one day because to, to the, uh, the life I live, I live by the faith, not in, of the, the son, son of God. But to reach over there, you have to grow in your faith. You have to grow in your faith. You have to grow in your faith. Because what actually faith does, what faith does is, is exchanges your life for the life of God. Mm. The life of God. Okay. The curses actually happen to us. See, the Bible begins with blessings. It doesn't begin with curses. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, there's a blessing. He blessed them, a fivefold blessing. When they disobey him and rebel against him, what happens? The curses flow. The curses flow. The curses flow. And uh, Jesus reverses it by his obedience. And by faith, what happens is we revert back to the righteousness of God. This is the righteousness of God that sets these things into movement. The scepter of his kingdom is the kingdom of righteousness. So there is a righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone. Faith and faith alone. There's a righteousness that comes by the law that will only bring curses. It's a very dangerous place to be. But the righteousness that comes by faith that is where the Bible talks about hearing his voice. You know, this is not some magic formula, but it's a real thing. That's why God puts these two things together, your prayer life and your word life. Both. It's in your prayer closet. You hear from God. You hear from God. 
you know it is God who has spoken because you have the word. The word is the boundaries and what you call your safeguard that who has spoken to you is God and not another voice because it is written. It is written. No, you know. It is God who spoke. It is God who spoke. The primary purpose of the word of God is to understand the ways of God. And the primary purpose of your prayer clauses is to hear from God. Mm. And once you have heard from God and you know from the word of God it's God who spoke, when you obey it, you are in faith. It's Christ living in you. You are no outside curses. the curse. No curses all, the curses yeah. will not work. But on the other hand, you just go by the word and you don't pray and you don't hear. You are under the law and the curses will operate. Mm. Curses will operate. That's why this is, this both has to be absolutely balanced and you see that in Jesus' life. He's absolutely balanced. It's a word, it's prayer. He hears from his father and he will stay within the boundaries. So when Satan comes and tempts him, he says, it is written. It is written. This is what my father is saying and I know it is my father is saying because I can tell you he's going by what is written. So it is for our sake. He is doing it. And this is a simple mm. thing. And you have to be careful about this both over and over and over again. It's the same thing we repeat. If your prayer closet is strong and your word life is weak, you will be deceived. Hmm. Okay. If your prayer closet is weak and your word life is strong, you will be deceived. You will be deceived because you become the arbiter of God's voice. If your prayer life is weak and your word life is strong, you become the arbiter of God's voice. Therefore, there has to be a balance between these two, your prayer life and your word life. There has to be a balance. Equal importance to both. Okay. Equal importance to both. Where your prayer life is basically a life of surrender to hear from God. It's not asking from God. It is hearing from God. Like Let us say, Roshan works in his, he works for railways. Okay. So on Monday he goes to his office and his big boss is there. He goes to his boss's office. Let me ask you this question. Who speaks more? Whose words are more important? Bosses. Bosses, right? Okay, right? So when I go into my prayer closet, what is important is not what I say. Hmm. What's important is what he says. Yep. What he says. Roshan may have a personal request and he puts across in 10 sentences. The answer may be one word, no. <laughs> oh, yes. So my 10 minutes of prayer is entirely dependent upon what he says. And if he didn't say anything, my time doesn't make any difference. What he says. Hmm. Okay. And all your feelings, all your desires, and all your passion... And all the need of, the need which you see is irrelevant in the light of what he says. Okay, that's, let's go to our favorite, favorite chapter about this is Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Okay, verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. 
he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Now, if you look at who Jesus is, he is actually, by nature, an extremely kind and a compassionate person who weeps over the sufferings of people. And they have come looking for him because there's an entire crowd of suffering people who have gathered. And he has the power to help them. Okay, so his desire is to help them. And that is who he is. The problem is, the crowd is there, that is who he really is. The problem is in the prayer closet he heard, go to the town and preach. Hmm. So is everything is irrelevant. No? Everything is certainly irrelevant hmm. in the light of what he has heard. Hmm. He has heard. Okay. Mm. So he just walks away. People will misunderstand. People may be upset. Some may be people may cry. But the point is, whose will are you doing? Whose will are you doing? Okay. And this is the same. These are formats given to us. You know, formats given to us. If he hasn't said anything new in your prayer closet, simple. Continue doing what he has told you. Mm. But if he tells you something that is out of the ordinary, then stop what you are doing and do what he has told you. Mm-hmm. You cannot go for season after season saying, I'm doing the same thing. He never told me to do anything. That means you're not hearing at all. Yeah. Hearing at all. Okay. And this, this is the simple thing. A lot of people, what they are doing is good. <laughs> but it is not the will of God for them. Why? Because they haven't gone and inquired of the Lord. Okay, inquired. That's that's where David is. Even when there are wars taking place, he will ask, "Should I fight?" The opinion of the people is all completely different. But he goes back again and says, "Should I?" And he says, "Yeah, fight. You will win. You will win." Okay, you. He won over the Philistines. Again, the Philistines come back. Again, he goes and asks, "Should I fight? Should I fight this way?" Or says, "No." Fight them, but fight another way. Hmm. You see, the entire Bible, only one man is called a man after God's own heart. Only David. Nobody else is called that way. None of the other greats. There might have been greater men than him, but only one man in the entire Bible is called man after, man after God's own heart. And if you look at David, what is so special about David? He prayed, he worshipped. His entire life is built on his relationship with God. Hmm. Okay, and when he prayed, God answered. It doesn't matter. I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter what junk he did. <laughs> it didn't matter what junk he did. When he prayed, God answered him. <laughs> Thing is that. When God looked into this man's heart, he knew this man genuinely loved him. That's it. Genuinely loved him. Okay, genuinely loved him. He was this kind of child, like you no, know, when our child children are very small, and then when they grow up they are different. When they are small, when we spank them the first time, they are shocked and they run into your arms. That's the only time I disciplined Matulika was. She was shocked. She cried and she came into mm-hmm. my house. Okay. But when they grow older, when you spank them, they run from you. They run from you. Try to escape it. David was the only guy, every time he was spanked, he ran to God. He never ran from God. 
never ran from God. He mm. always ran into God's hands. He never ran from God. Okay. And that means he always remained that loving child before God. So you have to look at this and say, yes, there are curses. And uh, to go to this kind of life, which you are talking about, I am crucified with Christ Jesus. Okay, if you go back to Galatians 2.20, read it carefully. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ Jesus. Okay, look at that carefully. Christ Jesus was crucified for me. Okay, these are not the same. Christ Jesus was crucified for me. I am not crucified for Christ Jesus, but I am crucified with Christ Jesus. He died for my sins. I am not dying for my sins, because I cannot die for my sins. It is useless even if I try to die for my sins. It's useless. Nothing is going to come out of it. But he is saying, I am crucified with Christ. With Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ lives in me. Okay, To reach there, it is a journey. And we have to reach there. One day, everybody has to reach there. And then you will realize the curses. But in the process, we learn. How do these curses come? First, how to stop the curses. First, stop the curses. Primary ways, that's why God says, repent. Repent, forsake, you stop the curses. That's not enough. You need to know how to move to blessings. Mm-hmm. Yeah to move into the blessings, okay? So we learn through the process. We learn this day by day. How does how do these curses come on my life? Now, we are not talking about uh, judgment. Mm. We're not. The fathers have bitten sour grapes. The children's teeth are set That's on it. That Proverbs warned. He not says, no, each soul will die for their for sin. sin. So yeah. we are not talking about that. We are talking about the effects of, of sin, sin. Yes. not the penalty of sin. The effects mm. of sin will be there. My father does something, it will affect me. Mm. It will affect me. It will affect me. As long as I'm living in his house, it is going to affect me. Okay, affect me. That is why God's solution is primarily a new birth. Everybody needs to have a new birth. You want to come out of it? You have to be born again. The problem is, yes, we are born again, but we are still living, trying to live under the old identity. Mm. And this man understood that I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead to that old identity completely. Completely dead to that old identity. Therefore, the curse had no effect on him. Not Peter. Paul. Because the thing is, he's struggling. He still wants some of that old identity. Something. That's why the thing is that we need to ask ourselves, how do these things affect us? How does fame affect us? How does success affect us? Mm. How do these things affect us? If it affects us in either way, positive or negative, the old man is still alive. Yeah. It shouldn't affect us at all. What difference does it make? If God doesn't receive glory out of it, it doesn't make any difference because it's not I am who is living, it's Christ who is living. And if you look at that through it all, until his work is over, Jesus does not do anything. He says, Father, I brought glory to you the way I have worked. Now glorify me with the glory which I already had. Now it is not, because you need to realize, how do I put it across? 
the issue is the self. And the first step of discipleship is, if any man wants to follow me, God says, he needs to deny himself. Self. That's a daily thing. Not pick up the cross. That is second. First thing is denying yourself. Because the self-life is the root of all, all crosses, crosses. issues. Everything is a self-life. Even that's what happened in heaven. Lucifer projected himself. And came. Pride came in. Self came in. Covetous came in. He coveted for something that was God's alone. And the fall began. And he injected the same thing. Self comes in. Pride comes in. Covetous comes in. And the fall comes in. And God says the way out is, first thing, deny your self. Who is that self? The old man. This is the old man. And God gives us the symptoms. Why are you upset? Why are you angry? Why are you offended? Why are you lazy? Why are These are all connected with the old man. Yep. All connected with the old man. You see, if you go to Timothy, you may hear about it, maybe more tomorrow. But if you go to Timothy, no, perilous Second Timothy chapter 3, okay, 1 to 4. Or one to five also. But know that, know this, in the last days perilous times will come. For menners, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despise of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. Whole list is given. We go back to the beginning. No? That's what I'm For men will be lovers of themselves. That's the root cause. You take that away, the rest won't be there. Yeah. The rest won't be there. If you're a lover yourself, one or many or all will follow. Jesus was not a lover of himself. Therefore, none of things, these things were there in his life. He was a lover of God. He was a lover of man. He was not a lover of self. So the simple thing is that this is where it comes. You want to stop the curses? All, they were around 16 or something. 16, 19. 19. And there are many more. Uh, yeah. Just not exhaustive list. Yeah. But the root cause of it all is love of self. Love of self. Men will be lovers of themselves. Women, anybody, child, every child is a lover of himself, herself, herself. And we, we mollycoddle that self. Okay. Because that's what happens. And that's how we get out of the curse. And the curses will automatically follow. Okay. And the first law of discipleship Jesus says is, if any man chooses to follow me, let him de- deny himself. Yeah. Deny himself. Okay, and that is where your prayer closet comes. Actually, it's in your prayer closet. Yourself is revealed, because, like I said, the heart is deceitful above all things. Mm. So, who can understand your your heart? I can't, mm. unless God shows. Because I may be feeling very good about myself and thinking that I am righteous and good, but when you enter into the prayer closet, God tells you something else. Tells you something else. No, he tells you something else and he says, you know what? Everything you did is good, but it was about yourself. It's not about me. 
It's not about me. You know, so it's the the prayer closet should be a place of interaction. Interaction. Okay. Because of the danger mm. of yourself. Mm. The danger of what yourself because that's the old nature. Yeah. Okay, old nature. And Yes, Pastor Vijay, what's that the last question? I think that's the last question. Okay, that's the last question. Today we finished early. I guess many of the questions didn't come through. But, like I said, it may sound terrible. All these things will, oh, it is so difficult. The thing is that keep your eyes on things that are above. Mm. Keep your things on things that are above. God is the greatest motivational speaker ever. <laughs> Honestly, the greatest motivational speaker ever. Because how do we motivate? How how does parents motivate children, companies? How do they motivate you? They motivate you based on rewards. Rewards, yeah. And the rewards God that that God is offering. God is offering. And the way he puts across is that other than the things that we know, he says, I haven't seen. Or ears heard. God is preparing for those who have loved. Like, we should dream. Dreams are good. We should dream. I'm yeah. talking about daydreaming. I'm not talking about other dreams. We dreams. No, I mean, we dream. Okay. But God says it will beat all your dreams. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's your motivation. Mm-hmm. Eternity should be what should be real. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me give you one more verse. Second uh, John chapter one verse eight. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for that yeah. we may receive a full reward. Super. So there's something called a full reward. Mm-hmm. If there is a full reward, there are partial rewards and no reward also. Mm-hmm. In First Corinthians chapter 3, if I'm right, 13, 14, 15. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. This is category three, no reward. Mm. There is full reward. And there are mm. partial rewards. You don't look into eternity and you know what he says. I want my full reward. Mm-mm. I want my full reward. Mm. And the only way any saint is going to get a full reward, he chooses to deny himself. Mm. And deny himself. Why? Because who is the one who gets a full reward? Christ. Christ is the one who gets a full reward. So if Christ lives through you, you can be absolutely th- be sure he gets a full reward. Okay. He's a motivational. I mean, God is the greatest motivational speaker, hmm. and He promises what He promises, He will give it to you. He will give it to you. Okay, He will give it to us. So these are fundamental principles we need to realize. We need to run because what happens is, when you are running, you are focused. If you look to your left and your right, you will lose your focus. You lose your focus. You lose your focus. You look at this one. Oh, this one is offending me. That one is calling me. Don't look there. You're running your race. Don't be distracted. Don't be because self will distract you. Mm. Self will distract you. 
Okay, there are so many parameters of judgment. So we go through, keep that focus, look through the word of God, because in Timothy, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, anyone who must, when he writes, he must run according to the rules. Mm -hmm. So we look and say, what are the rules by which I need to run? Run, okay. And suddenly you realize, you see, it depends upon how you read your Bible. Yeah. What motivation are you reading a Bible for? What are you reading a Bible for? Okay. Mm. All students who come to your classroom doesn't come with the same motivation. Some are coming with a bit scent. <laughs> okay. Some just want to pass. Okay. Some just want to pass. There will be a few over there who are very clear what they want. Very clear what they want in future and they're working towards it. Okay. Here, it is different. In the kingdom of God, it is different because it is not like going to, into academics. It's not like going into academics. That is when Acts chapter 2, it is doctrine and mm-hmm. fellowship. Because in the, in the world, in academics, you isolate yourself. You isolate yourself. You shut yourself in your library. You shut yourself. You hide books from others. You don't show your notes to anybody. You are because everyone around you is your enemy. Mm. It's not your friend. Because he could take your seat. Yes, you're, you isolate yourself. But in the kingdom of God is exactly the opposite. You isolate yourself. You will lose. You will gain nothing. You will lose. Be very careful about it. You will lose in the eternity because if you isolate, you will lose. Mm. That is why fellowship is put there right immediately because you know what? What makes you a man of God or a woman after peace? It's fellowship that makes you. That is only when you will know whether you have endurance. That is only when you will know you will have patience. That is when you will know whether you have real love. That is only when you will know whether you are lazy. That's the time when you know you are out for yourself or out mm. for it. That is what will define everything. But if you insulate yourself, you will not know any of these things. Academically, you will be brilliant. You will be brilliant. But this is not academics. This is life. Okay. So Jesus is there, isolated with his father. Immediately he's down with the people. Immediately he's down with the people. But the disciples are not. They, you want see, to be <laughs> they were academics. They were academics, meaning they were all come from professional life. So when they went fishing, they had a very clear motivation. I'm fishing for profit. When they were in the tax booth, they were there <laughs> to make money. With that, Jesus. And they never changed. <laughs> so when they came in the crowds, they looked at the crowds as a disturbance and sent them away. <laughs> Tell we call them from fire. That's how they did not see the crowds through the eyes of Jesus. They had no compassion. Mm-hmm. They had no patience. They looked at them as a disturbance. They wanted to do the ministry, some signs and wonders, and they want to walk away. They did not like the people. Mm-hmm. They did not like the people. And Jesus was completely the opposite. Completely the opposite. Okay, And that's what God is talking about. You cannot insulate yourself. This is not academics. You cannot insulate yourself. The kingdom of God, the race is a completely different race. You're running your race with others Amen. and for others. Amen. For others. 
before others. Because when you, when you reach over there, this, the character of God has to be built in. Okay, character of God has to be built in. Okay, and that is why God's indictment against Job's three friends. He said, you put me across as a terrible person. Yes. He said, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I am merciful. I am compassionate. Let me ask you this question. If you're not with people, how are you, how, how, mm. how can you become merciful? Mm. If you're only with good people, how will you become merciful? Mm. How will you become merciful? You have to be with difficult people to be merciful. Right? Difficult people. A bachelor does not know he's merciful until he gets married. No? True, because it's a different person. You lived all your life. You're an extremely selfish person because you lived all. You never had to have to take care of anybody. You just had to take care of yourself. You're good with it. You can. Then suddenly you get married, and suddenly you realize I have to take care of somebody else, and be partial to her feelings, her sensitivities. Okay, so a part of my life I have to die to bring her in. Suddenly you realize I have to be merciful. Then on top of that, a year or two years later, two little one, little one comes and suddenly that one is the most selfish being that you have ever met in your life. Cute but selfish. The question is, will you be patient? Will you be merciful? Will you die? Or will you love? Hmm. Will you die? Look, and when you come into the ministry, it is the same thing. It is like you are married to a hundred people and your life changes for all these people. And these are Sheep. These are sheep. No one knows what you're going through. Everyone comes to you saying that with this attitude, my problem is the biggest. And I expect you to give me 100% attention. Hmm. In a day, you may get 50 calls. And each call is priority. The one who called does not know there was another call before and another call is coming after you. Okay. Now, the issue is, what are you going to be? What are you going to be? That is why there is the crown in the Bible reserved only for shepherds. It's not for anybody else. For shepherds. Because it is not easy to be a shepherd. It's not easy to be a shepherd. Okay, it is not easy to be a shepherd. And these are things in the Bible which you need to understand. This is how it works. It is easy to be a bachelor. It is easy to be a spinster. Okay, but the minute you get married, suddenly you will realize, I need to change. Mm. Where do I need to change? First, I need to be merciful. Mm. I need to be patient. I need to endure. Because the other person may take a long time to change change or may not change at all mm. or the other person may tell you I'm not the one who needs to change you need to change <laughs> and may be true mm. may be true okay so like I said
on things that are above and keep your eyes fixed on finisher of our faith who endured the cross looking at the joy that is set before you know think about the joy it's not a place okay let me tell you it's not just a place it's not just a place it is the people yep. you know one thing it's not just the people i can live a life without misunderstanding and without being misunderstood mm. I can be myself. Meaning, we'll all be transparent. We all be transparent. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend. We can love. We will be loved. Mm-hmm. There will be an atmosphere of genuine love. Okay. There will be kindness. All these things will be there. There will be no jealousy. There will be no envy. No projection of it. Nothing will be there. Absolutely. It is literally what is re- better than that. What added. They were both naked and not were ashamed. Mm. That's how people will be. We can live like that. No needs, no wants, no pressure. No, nothing will be there. And you look forward to that. Things are all connected with that. There it will not matter. If you're going to live in a house for a million years, what does it matter about what the nature of the house is? Okay, so those things are, don't try to look at it that way. It's, it's a life you're It's a different dimension. It's a different, and God tells that you can experience it on earth. On earth, yes. First in your own home, second in your church. Two places you can, not your office. Office will have Gentiles. But your home and your church are two places where you can experience heaven. So you need to ask, what is heaven? Heaven is a life. It's not just a place. It's a life. God says, you can experience it at home. So you should be excited about going home. And you should be excited about coming to church tomorrow. Mm. You know why? Because it's a family gathering. Mm. It's a family gathering. So Sunday should be different from any other day because mm. you know what? My family is gathering on Sundays. It's a family gathering. And when you go home, your personal family is gathering. When you go to church, your Extended family is gathering, and then when you go to heaven, the whole family is there, and God is the Father. Mm-hmm. That's how you have to look at life. <laughs> keep it like they say. No, I don't want to use the third word, fourth word. Keep it simple. <laughs> they use another word at the end of it. <laughs> but okay, hmm? that that was actually uh, that lady's name. Uh, that was her statement. Uh, who was a, uh, the uh, the uh, that lady from? Uh, uh, Cory Ten Boom. Cory Ten Boom yeah. statement, actually. Yeah. Just, keep, just, it, keep, keep it. Keep it simple, simple stupid. <laughs> Cory Ten Boom. Very simple. <laughs> keep it very, very simple. At the end of the day, we're going home. God is the father. There is a family. There will be no jealousy, no sibling rivalry, nothing. <laughs> None of this thing. I am better than you. I am taller than you. I am fairer than you. None of these things. Everyone will be happy forever and ever and ever. No, real fairy tale which is true mm. okay so that's how you have to look at life in the process God allows adversity but is taking us to a great place yes Pastor Vijay we will close yes. for today yes and we will I hope you have encouraged okay so don't look at life with dark glasses mm. okay see it through God's eyes Father, we just thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Through it all, Father. 